Hey everyone, welcome to the Prince of Peace podcast, where our aim is to help you live and love like Jesus. I'm Lauren Hlaud, one of the pastors of Prince of Peace. We're glad that you're here and we hope you enjoy. peace and joy be unto you from God the Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus the Christ. Amen. We continue our series, Choose Love, Choose Peace, based on our theme for this year. And this week, after spending three weeks on love, we now turn our attention to peace. As I alluded to last week, the theme is not detached from our focus on Luke's gospel for this year. Luke's gospel takes aim at one of the greatest threats to the world that Luke sees. And we see it in the life and ministry of Jesus, and even more poignantly in his own time of, Luke's own time of ministry after Jesus' death. Luke sees the high cost of trying to establish one group of humans as superior to another. It's constantly a dead-end street with dead-end consequences. Luke recognizes and then highlights the ministry of Jesus in contrast to the work of religious and political leaders and even frustrated, disenfranchised common folk that thought fighting power with power is the only way forward. Choose love, choose peace, is an invitation to make different choices than different choices than what is so often suggested to be the only way in our world. And this is true today, just as it was in the time of Jesus. There are multiple times in the ministry of Jesus where we can hear the peaceful words of Jesus and we can receive them simply as an appeal to a gentler way of existing in this world. But in reality, Jesus is often actually warning those that are following him of the potential dangers looming if they do not choose another way. A different way than the zero-sum game of trying to always get what we want when we want it at the expense of others. There was undoubtedly a regular palpable energy around the potential for Jesus to be the messianic figure that so many wanted him to be ride up on the white horse with sword in hand to free the people from Roman occupation and reestablish the greatness of the nation of Israel. This was definitional for many of the Jewish people at the time when they heard of a potential Messiah. Luke seems to be very familiar with the dangers of choosing to follow the way of a militaristic Messiah, In fact, in the book of Acts, the second part of Luke's writing, he details the outcome of two such attempts as Peter and the apostles are brought before the Sanhedrin, the high council, high court in Jerusalem in Acts 5. We hear there parallels to the reaction of the crowd in Nazareth in our lesson for today, but also listen for the warning that Luke relays through these words about the dangers of seeking the kingdom through insurrection. This comes on the heels of Peter's words of defiance about representing the ministry of Jesus and continuing his work. Luke writes, 
When the Sanhedrin heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill him. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law respected by all the people, stood up and ordered the men to, put out, to be put outside for a short time. And then he said to the council, fellow Israelites, consider carefully what you propose to do to these men. For some time ago, Theodos rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him, but he was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and disappeared. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up at the time of the census and got people to follow him. He also perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone, because if this plan or this undertaking is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. In that case, you may even be found fighting against God. The juxtaposition we find is an interesting one from what Jesus is inviting people to, to this way of the world, this way of insurrection, of might meeting might, as the only way to get where we need to go as human beings. Instead, Jesus offers this ministry of peace. One of the things we discover about the ministry, and it begins right here at the very beginning, is that peace is not the absence of conflict. Peace is about the nature and response to the inevitability of conflict in our human condition. Do we meet might with more might? Do we meet brutality with even greater brutality? These, again, are the ways of the world, but as I noted in last week's sermon, Jesus lays out a different vision that is grounded in love instead of hate, kindness instead of cruelty. Again, as from last week, we hear in the Sermon on the Mount, here in Luke's Gospel, but to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. And yet the tragic irony of this is that the systems of power that derive their power, even in part from the threat of violence, are incredibly threatened by the potentially unnerving power of nonviolence. And of course, if you don't think that nonviolence is threatening to power, just look at three of the great human proponents of nonviolence and how they met their end. Think of Jesus, who we see here. In the more contemporary times, think of Gandhi and Martin Luther King, Jr. All of them were killed for being a threat to the might-makes-right powers of this world. Peace is not the absence of conflict. Jesus goes from being celebrated to despised in an instant in this story for today because he gets 
very explicit about who this good news that he has proclaimed is for. It's not just for those inside of that community. In fact, he further angers them by declaring that the signs will not be for them there in their village that day. No, Jesus would go from Nazareth back to Capernaum, where he had been doing all of these great things that they would hear, were hearing about. Capernaum, a trading crossroads where Jews and Gentiles alike were bound to intermingle. There in Capernaum, Jesus' message that all means all could come into clearer perspective. The good news is for all the people. And he brings, brings it all home to them by going back to their own prophets. Just like Elijah and Elisha before him, Jesus would lift up God's message of salvation for all people through the power of love. A message of love, a message of peace. A message in conflict with prevailing power narratives of the world. A message upon which he was willing to stake his life. A message that God would validate and then perpetuate through the power of the resurrection unleashed following Jesus' crucifixion. And yet, despite the revelation in the resurrection, peace remains an elusive ideal. In part, this is because of the reality that peace is not the absence of conflict. We have to fight for peace, but how we do that makes all the difference. In an important work about the legacy of Gandhi in India entitled Conquest of Violence, an author quotes Nehru, the first prime minister of India who worked closely with Gandhi. He says, we see conflict all around us in the world. This is perhaps not surprising, but what is surprising is that the methods adopted to end that conflict have almost always failed miserably and produced greater conflict and more difficult problems. In spite of this patent fact, we pursue the old methods blindly and do not even learn from our own experiences. He continues, Gandhi never tired of talking about the means and ends of laying stress and laying stress on the importance of the means. That is the essential difference, I think, between his approach and the normal approach, which thinks in terms of ends only. And because means are forgotten, the ends aimed at escape one. It is not realized that the ends must inevitably come out of the means and are governed by those means. Conflicts are therefore seldom resolved. The wrong methods pursued in dealing with them lead to further conflict. The mistaken belief still persists that violence can end a conflict or that war can bring salvation to the world. Nehru, of course, wrote those words out of the context of the conflict that led to independence in India and the context of the aftermath of the two great world wars. They still ring true today. As we still shake our heads at the seeming futility of our recent long entrenched war in Afghanistan, and as we look at the potential of war about to erupt in Ukraine, 
In many ways, it's much easier to see the futility of war when looking at it afar in a conflict, conflict where we lack more personal investment. We can clearly see how damaging and costly a war between Russia and Ukraine would be, and for what? What possible good could emerge? The leader of the Lutheran World Federation said this week, we urge all parties to de-escalate the situation and work for peace and stability. A peaceful solution must be found. On behalf of the Global Communion of Lutheran Churches, I want to assure the people of Ukraine, as well as the German Evangelical Lutheran Church of Ukraine, of our solidarity and prayers. May the God of peace grant comfort to the people and guide political leaders to act for peace and wisdom and humility. We clearly see the potential for disastrous consequences of military aggression from Russia. So why do so many Americans fail to see the singularly destructive consequences of violence here in our own country as increasingly high numbers of Americans believe that violence would be justified against those who differ from their own political commitments right here in our country? Seeking peace seemingly necessitates conflict, yet as followers of Jesus, we are called to be people of peace. People who offer an alternative to this way of only seeking might to meet might in this world. People who seek an end to violence and oppression. People who demonstrate to the world that there are, in fact, different means than violence, hatred, and fear. That love can, in fact, conquer all. Again, from the book, Con Conquest of Violence, Nehru posits this about the work of Gandhi that I think we should hear in relation to Jesus for this day. And in a month dedicated to black history, we should hear these words in relationship to Martin Luther King, Jr., and as followers of Jesus, we should consider how they can relate to our own actions, our own rhetoric, our own advocacy for the ways of peace in this world. He says, in this age of uttermost violence, in this age of consuming fear, this absolutely fearless individual stands out. He demonstrated to us that there can be a strength far greater than that of armaments, and that a struggle can be fought, and indeed should be fought, without bitterness and hatred. In an age of bitterness and hatred, brothers and sisters, choose love. Choose peace. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to the Prince of Peace podcast. I hope that today's message has brought comfort and inspiration to your life. Have a great rest of the week.